Hello, everyone. My name is Lee Boston, and this is my co-host, Brandon Paradoski. Welcome back to another episode of the SAM podcast. Today, we have on a very special guest, an individual who's been incredibly outspoken about the dangers of the COVID-19 vaccines. Dr. Chris Shoemaker is a comprehensive physician in Ontario and a member of the College of Family Physicians of Canada. He has worked in emergency medicine and as a hospitalist in both Ontario and BC. More recently, he, has been, he was a part of the Eastern Ontario response team to COVID-19. And with that, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Shoemaker, for joining us today. Absolutely. My pleasure. Uh, Dr. Chris Shoemaker from Ontario. Absolutely. So, uh, Dr. Shoemaker, many universities across Canada forced students to take the COVID vaccines and provided little to no options to avoid that, including my own university. Uh, what are the risks to students uh, who receive the COVID-19 uh, vaccines? Well, the risks to students are the same risks to society in general. Uh, and let me speak to society in general first, because why should anyone be worried? <laughs> well, we have to be worried because this is a genomic affecting injection, which is not functioning as a vaccine. Vaccines, when they're suitable, the one feature they must have is they must prevent you from getting the disease. Anything else is a joke. Anything else is false advertising, uh, supposedly to reduce symptoms, etc. Well, maybe there was a subtle reduction in symptoms in one study here or there. But in the main, the main point, will it stop you from getting COVID? Will it stop you from transmitting COVID to others? Zero effect in that regard. Zero effect. In fact, in terms of preventing you to have COVID symptomatology or ending up in the ICU, you are now three to four to five times more likely to get or have COVID or have complications from COVID if you're quadruply or four times vaxxed. With every shot, your immune system is harmed more and more. That's true if you're 49 or if you're 29. Everyone's immune system is harmed by this because of what it is. It is something intended to create a lymphocyte reaction in your body. And that lymphocyte reaction in your body, along with certain tissue damages that it does produce, also produces damages to the lymphocytic system itself. And with the lymphocytic system damaged, that means you are prone to all sorts of diseases from COVID to hepatitis, to shingles, to any number of infections, including the respiratory syncytial virus that roared through pediatric and young people's populations in this early fall. So that's just a general commentary that the shot is not as advertised. The shot is an immune damaging agent. No person in North America should take this shot, let alone students. So how exactly do these COVID-19 vaccines function? and How do they differ from the vaccines we're typically used to? A vaccine that we're typically used to would put in only the most inert, the most simple, the least dangerous part of the virus in order to generate an immune response. That most safe part, for example, of a polio virus is something called the capsid, the nucleocapsid. It's almost like the shell that the virus is party to. And they only put in 80 of these little shell-like particles into you in order to induce uh, a reaction to that and an, an ability to react quickly if you ever were exposed to polio in the future. 
This shot doesn't put in 80 entities. It puts in 40,000 billion nanoparticles filled up with messenger RNA, which is living, functional, proteinaceous material. So you're creating 40,000 billion factories in your own body, throughout your own body, to generate the actual most toxic part of this human engineered virus. The most toxic part is the spike. So instead of a simple little, little bit of a capsule with no ability to harm you, it's the most severe part of the viral genome and it does harm you in numbers like that. Can you imagine 40 trillion in every shot and someone's asking you to put it in your arm every six months? Yeah. It happened twice to me. I was fooled initially. I was lied to initially and I believed the lies out of the Center for Disease Control. I don't believe their lies anymore because I now know the real science. So Dr. Shoemaker, just to help our um, audience understand this, you talked about um, lymphocytic damage. So mm -hmm. my understanding how this may occur is uh, these lipid nanoparticles which contain the mRNA are injected into us. Um, they don't necessarily stay in our arm. They can travel throughout our body. So by definition, any cell type could take them up, such as a lymphocyte, so our B and T cells. They express the protein on their cell surface. And now other immune cells attack their own brothers and sisters, um, which could result in, I guess, uh, dampening of the immune system surveillance and allow resurgence of dormant viruses, like you said, herpes or um, whatever other um, sort of dormant uh, pathogens that are in someone's body. Is that sort of the gist of it? Uh, that's certainly a big part of the gist of it. You've expressed it very scientifically, accurately, and, uh, and well. And here's, I'll, I'll simplify it down just a moment from what you've just said. Imagine, because it's true, that the spike protein in your cardiac cells, and let's say the spike protein has wandered into a thousand cardiac cells, well, that's waving a flag to your entire immune system to give your immune system the sense, oh, that's not my cardiac cells. I've been given a heart transplant. This is a heart that doesn't even belong to me. This is a heart with foreign genomes in it. I must attack that. I must do what the body would do after a heart transplant if there wasn't uh, medications given to dampen down the immune response. So here you are, a young person, you've got a vigorous immune system. There's flags waving in your thousand or 2000 cardiac cells that are saying, hey, we're not even human cells. Guess what your immune system is gonna do? It's gonna attack the heck out of it. And that's why the myocarditis injury to so many young people happens because it is the youngest among us, the most um, immune competent of us. The, those of us with the best immune systems are at the greatest risk. The people who designed this were terribly nefarious. They designed something to get your own immune system to attack your own most important cells from the base of your brain, to your heart, to your kidneys, to your spleen. It doesn't matter where it goes after it. You'll die quickly if the attack is to an urgent organ like the aorta and the aorta splits and you're gone in say two or three months after the vaccination because the vaccination set into motion this lymphocytic attack against your aorta. You'll die more slowly if the attack is against your T cells and your B cells that you very accurately described uh, because those cells are responsible together for uh, 
controlling early cancers, for controlling early malignancy, cells that really aren't your cells. And their ability to do their job is now worse. And now you're getting three, four, five years later, a cancer evolving because sadly, you've been immune damaged. So this is a toxic effect to us all. The world is all affected. Those of us who didn't get the vaccine are still having it shed into our bodies. Those who've had it, we've rolled the dice. We've been harmed. Humans engineered all of this. But the biology is simple. Any of your cells can be invaded by 40,000 billion mRNAs, and they will continue to do their job because there's an element of DNA transfer that also happens, which I could speak to later. It's not just selectively only RNA. There is contamination by DNA aspects, which can be taken up into your actual own nucleus of your cells. And that's why it's recognized by your immune system. That's why it's attacked by your immune system. And your immune system has been harmed as well, leading to potential for lymphogenous cancers. That's horrifying. Can you, just to kind of bounce back a bit, you mentioned shedding. So the individuals who chose not to get vaccinated could still be affected by the vaccine. Can you explain how that works, how shedding works? Shedding is a term actually from uh, chemotherapy and cancer therapy. When a person goes home and is under breast cancer treatment, the family is told, don't use the same washroom as your family member who's taking their chemotherapy for three or four days, wipe things down really carefully. There'll be, be an exuding out of the chemical from the person's body that it could affect other members of the family during the three or four days after they've received the chemotherapy. So there's always an ability for proteinaceous substance to come out in our sweat, in our saliva, in our breath, uh, onto our own fingertips, and perhaps then onto toiletry aspects. And because of that, chemotherapy can be ingested into or by other family members in a period of cancer treatment that a person's going through. And this spike floating around your body in large measures is essentially like a chemical. It's a chemical that can be exuded. It can come out in the stool. It can come out in the saliva, the urine. There are tests being developed right now that uh, to, to test uh, in these fluids uh, so that you can have an indication of how much spike you are exuding or not. But the one thing that is for sure is that we do exude it and others are exposed to it. And we take no shame in any of this. We take no shame that this has happened to us. We were lied to. We're continuing to be lied to. The people who want this program to persist aren't canceling the shots yesterday like they should have or one year ago or two years ago like they should have. They're continuing to chat it up and say it's good for you. Bullshit. This is not good for you. This is not good for any living human. The more we get this out of our system would be the same as taking a toxin out of our drinking water. We should do it immediately. Take back your shoulders. Never have another shot. Anyone, please. So you mentioned um, the spike is the pathogenic part of the virus and, and probably not the best choice to make a vaccine against SARS-CoV-2. Like you said, you right. could have chose the nucleic capsid or something else. Um, I know in my own mind, but um, just playing uh, advocate for the opposite side, uh, sure. do you think uh, from the virus itself, the spike is also toxic? Why or why not? Um, is that just because it's coming through your lungs and not necessarily circulating in your bloodstream or is there more to that? Um, the reason it's less toxic 
is by the root of it coming into you and also by the, um, the number that come into you. The root, as you very correctly put out, has the respiratory system and the mucus system and the upper airway system to fight against it. That's how most aerosolized viruses can be combated early. So the chances of going deep into the spleen or deep into the brain, it's not impossible, but it's going to be less because the fight is at, at an earlier point in the body. When a medication is injected straight into your musculature system and muscles have lots of vessels. So really within three seconds of you getting a shot into your shoulder muscle, it doesn't matter if it goes into a vein or not. That's not the point. It leaves via the capillaries and it goes to your brain. You're getting effect of a shot in your shoulder or in your buttock within five seconds. If someone gets some intravenous, not intravenous, intramuscular morphine or Demerol, the sensation in the brain is virtually instant. Within five seconds, you're having an extreme effect. Ejected things are supposed to get to other organs like the brain very, very quickly. This was no different. And then that's the numbers thing. If you've got 10,000 viral particles fighting it out and trying to get somewhere and eventually to seed their RNA into you, that's a big fight for them. They fight their way through, some of them get through and they do certain things to you. But when there's 40,000 billion <laughs> factors of hundreds of millions more factored going into you, can they do more harm? Is the injection likely to be more harmful when it's putting numbers like that into you? And that sadly is why, Yes, there is brain fog from COVID itself. Yes, there is certain damages that occur from COVID itself. But the damages and the multiplicity of organs that it affects, and especially the effect on the white cells and the CD4 cells, those are exclusive to the bioinjection. Those are exclusive to the bioinjection. Those things don't happen from COVID-19 inhaled. They only happen from spike protein injected. So <clears throat> VAERS, I believe, has reported approximately 40,000 deaths assigned to the vaccine. How accurate or inaccurate is this number? And how do we really estimate the true number, especially when, you know, people are dying from cancer a number of years later, developing um, cancer, having heart attacks, things like that? I, I feel like it's being attributed to just a heart attack and not necessarily the vaccine. How do we that, estimate this? Was that 40,000 figure? Uh, was that a, a North American figure, a Canada figure? What was your point there? Sorry. I, I believe, sorry, I believe it's US. Sorry, I should have specified. But I will yeah, will clarify below. Yeah, perhaps somehow. that was just in the first year because the legitimate, proper theirs extrapolation is 200,000 in the oh, first wow. year okay. and 400,000 in the next year. The actual numbers out of VAERS, if properly analyzed, when they were improperly analyzed by the CDC, they just took the bare bone lowest minimum they possibly could and put that out as, oh, it was 20,000. <laughs> sorry, sorry, folks. It's 200,000 for sure. It's, it's 2 billion people vaccine damaged. Two, they're alive, but 2 billion people have been legitimately vaccine damaged around the world already. And 2 million people around the world are dead already from the vaccines. Those are the real numbers when you look at VAERS properly. Oh my God, that's horrifying. So uh, just to clarify for people listening, um, the reason why uh, you're saying look at it properly is that um, someone who's vaccine injured, um, they may not actually report that injury to VAERS. They may not know about it. Um, the doctor may not report on it. There's a whole host of reasons of not 
um, reporting. And I think uh, I've heard numbers like 1% of people end up reporting the actual injury. So if there's 12,000 deaths, then you can multiply that number by 100, um, like you said, to get uh, the accurate numbers that are in the population. Um, so, yeah, it, it, so my question is, I guess, uh, that was more so a comment. Um, most people are aware of myocarditis and it was initially said that this is mild um, and it's transient and it's not gonna last long, don't worry about it. Um, many guidance said, if you, if you don't have a reaction to the first one and basically get the second one type of thing, if you don't have anaphylaxis or something ridiculous like that, uh, why, why is the focus just on myocarditis? Uh, like we pointed out earlier, technically the lipid nanoparticles could go anywhere in the body or do from that biodistribution. So why is there so much focus just on the heart and not um, other organs um, or other diseases besides myocarditis? Well, I don't really know why. Is it sexier maybe that the pump that means the difference between being dead or alive is the organ that's affected? I mean, that's really the only reason that it's getting more play. Um, but let's nonetheless talk about it specifically. I don't want to have myocarditis to have occurred uh, in you, in me, in any of us. It should be between one and four per million in your age group. Let's just talk about the student age group for a moment. It should be in that range. One to four in a million ought to get myocarditis in a certain year from typical viruses and the like. It's extremely rare, unbelievably rare. In the vaccinated population, it's already proven that clinical myocarditis, in other words, really being sick in the hospital, feverish, chest pain, troponin changes, EKG changes, PR interval changes, with all of those elements occurring, it's already at 3%. 3%. That is 30 per thousand, and that is 30,000 per million. So instead of it being just at three per million, it's at 30,000 million, or 30, it's a 30,000 fold increase. It's a huge increase. It can be expressed other ways. And when you look at what they've done in three specific populations, pilots, Thailand, 20 somethings and adolescents and the US military, there are three separate studies in those three groups. They're all a young population young enough, pilots a little older, US military, 20s and 30s, Thailand adolescents in early 20s, that's the youngest of the three groups. But in all three of those groups, when they did prospective studies and simply followed and tested for the, with the gold standard mRNA, sorry, MRA, MRI, pardon me, an MRI test, magnetic resonance imagery, gold standard, cardiac, MRI, and when that study is done in a non-symptomatic person, they just do it for everyone who got the shot and they do it maybe for a thousand people. They got numbers like 34%. 34% had hidden myocarditis, hidden myocardial damage showing up on the cardiac MRI and showing up on the PR interval change and showing up on the sonogram or ultrasound as well that accompanies those other two tests. So these tests on silent myocarditis are showing not just a 3% rate, they're showing a 34, 35, 36% rate of hidden subclinical, but 
definitely laboratory indicators are proven that these individuals have damage in their heart. And to turn to the pilots specifically, the US FAA, Federal Aviation Administration, has changed the indication at which a pilot can no longer fly. Anyone usually who has a change in how quickly the electricity goes from the upper chamber to the lower chamber, which is called the PR interval, any pilot who does not satisfy the under 0.24 is normally removed from service, can normally not fly. They have changed it. So instead of being the 0.2 to 0.24, which is allowable, they've now changed it that the requirement now is anything that's below 0.31. Well, that's a 50% change in their number between 0.31 and 0.21. Uh, 50%, you're allowed for the electricity to go into your, or in between your heart chambers to change, to be 50% worse than normal, to be leading into the potential for heart block in these pilots. And if they hadn't changed the number, they would have had to remove one third of the US pilots from service. Literally one third of the pilots flying your planes across North America right now are flying with early evidence of heart block. And they're being allowed to fly because otherwise they'd have to cut the crews by 33%, because 33% of US pilots have electrocardiographic evidence of heart damage that they didn't have the year before, and they now have it after a year and a half of having vaccines mandated into their bodies. So when you read all these things, as I'm sure some of your student friends and others have all been reading about pilots and planes having been turned around because you've got a dead pilot and the second pilot is bringing it back home, and they're, having, they're happening at the rate of two a week. They're happening at a rate of two per week that these turnbacks are occurring. And I'm simply letting you know that there's a scientific basis for this happening. And it's because when your heart cells are inflamed and your nerve tracts in your heart are changed and the time it takes from electricity within the heart to get from chamber A to chamber, chamber B is worth, worse, pardon me, by 50%. But what have we got on our hands here? an absolute worldwide catastrophe engineered by humans and being stupidly made worse by using a toxic genomic cardiac cell damaging agent, which fails to even function as a vaccine. That's it. Um, so just to back up, so the Thailand report, um, one of the things that comes to my mind is, is why are we relying on Thailand to tell us <laughs> what the rates are of myocarditis in young boys. Uh, generally, we speak of Thailand as a less developed country, or uh, pretty much everyone does, but yet we're relying on their data, their scientists to collect and inform our public that, like you said, uh, subclin subclinical myocarditis from that paper, uh, we'll show it on the screen, um, seven out of 202 boys had uh, subclinical myocarditis, so three and a half percent. Um, so that's like two orders of magnitude greater than what um, our public health officials were saying when they were saying it's uh, one in 5,000, I think, the chief public health officer, Kieran Moore, said in Ontario um, in like 2022. But um, yeah. so nonetheless, uh, we know this number now. Um, it's a small sample size, but even then uh, it was able to detect seven boys who had it. Um, and then you said 30... 30 some percent of pilots had MRI changes. Is, is, is that what it was? 
uh, PR interval changes, which is an electric uh, conduction indicator. And uh, where it's instead of being 0.2 where it should be, it's now 0.3 of a second or longer. And that's your first step towards heart block. And it's, uh, it's a dangerous circumstance to be in. So, so my understanding is um, uh, you obviously have to be fit to be flying in the air and have hundreds of people under your supervision. So um, FAA, I assume this is um, a regulatory agency in the States um, for flying. Uh, they, set a, they set like an interval of how good, I guess, your heart is performing so that you're safe to be in the air. And what you said, they expanded it larger to include people who are um, generally not fit to fly because of they are not. They have, it's heart. very simple. They are not fit to fly. It is an abnormal PR interval to have an, a PR interval of 0.3 or greater. It's first. It's heading towards first degree, second degree heart block. It's year after year because you know there weren't that many pilots that they had to take off the rolls. Nobody had it. Nobody. These guys were healthy. They didn't have PR intervals that were greater than 0.2. Now, 33% of them have it, only since they were mandated to be vaccinated. This is the heart damage, where the lymphocytes attack the heart cells. Thousands of heart cells die. It's turned to straw. What should be an electrically functional track to send the signal clearly and cleanly to the next chamber is now a potholed track. It's a potholed circumstance in terms of safety and in terms of the nerve functioning as it should. And everything's delayed. And when enough stress happens and enough adrenaline happens as you're piloting the plane, suddenly you're done. So, so it wasn't the FAA because they certainly wouldn't incriminate themselves and do this measurement. Who, who did the measurements and found out like 30% 30, 30 of pilots have um, this abnormal um, heart? Yeah. Uh, who, no, who, the measurements who, were done. They just, changed, they just changed the disqualification factor. They admit that now 33% of their pilots have this oh, abnormal PR interval, but they're just stating, we don't call it abnormal anymore unless it maybe stretches out to like a full second. <laughs> I mean, give me a break. But the point is anything above 0.2 or 0.21 suggests danger. And they just changed the requirement for disqualification from being a pilot when for the last 30 years, that was a disqualifying factor. They can't allow it to be a disqualifying factor because so many people have been heart damaged. 33% of pilots heart damaged by the shot. So what can individuals who have uh, been vaccinated, whether it's one, two, three doses more, uh, what can they do to sort of treat the vaccine injuries that they undoubtedly have? Is there anything? Well, that's, that's a pretty broad question. And of course, I can't really answer it over these next two or three minutes fully. But let's just say that if I was advising patients to get information about their best way to de-spike themselves, go to the Spike Detox Program from what is called the World Council for Health. That's worldcouncilforhealth.org, Spike Detox. And also the uh, FL. CCC in the United States, that particular organization, and I think most people would know and have heard of the FLCCC right now because they're the major treating organization, both for COVID and also for vaccine injury. And if you go to their protocols, the FLCCC in America, they will give you a number of choices and probably at numbers close to 20 different things you could choose. But if I was to choose the top five that I might choose, 
the first treating and use on assistive medication for a vaccine injury uh, would be ivermectin. The second would be nigella sativa, which is an organic kind of form of an ivermectin-like uh, chemical from a natural plant. So nigella sativa would be second on the list. Pine needle tea would be third on the list or a pine needle extract. Dandelion tea or a dandelion extract uh, would be fourth on the list. And of the other 15 or 16, they're all quite reasonable and I won't bother to specify which they could be. But you wouldn't go far wrong by accessing and having available to you and having read what the FLCC see, says and having read what worldcouncilforhealth.org says, use those four medications Ivermectin, Nigella sativa, pine needle extract, and dandelion extract, along with some others that are certainly very well thought out and well described at those two organizations. I'm taking three out of those four things that I've just mentioned at the top list to help myself, and I would recommend them to anyone else as well. Perfect. Well, with that, I know we want to be mindful of your time. We had about 30 minutes. So thank you so, so much for joining us today. That was, that was incredible. Well, thank you so much, uh, Brandon. Uh, it was a real pleasure being with you young folks from out West. Uh, this old guy in Toronto is just doing his best to try to help the world. I guess. Your part, yeah. Well, the part. Of speeches and, and, you know, protests that you've done, you're doing a lot and it's so appreciated because they're, we need it. We need people to, to know the truth about these vaccines. So thank you. Okay. Our, our audience will appreciate it. Thank you, everybody. Have, Have a, a wonderful weekend.